Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome everyone to Beyond Surviving, the safe space for survivors of childhood sexual abuse to receive support, resources, and share their stories. Beyond Surviving is about freedom, healing, connection, and even laughter and fun. Most importantly, it's about letting go of the pain of abuse and finally moving on. I'm Rachel Grant, and for those of you who don't yet know me, I've been a sexual abuse recovery coach since 2007, and I'm the author of Beyond Surviving, the final stage of recovery from sexual abuse. You can learn more about me and the Beyond Surviving program at rachelgrantcoaching.com. Now, folks, I am so excited to have here with me today, Crystal, who is going to be sharing with us about her personal, and if I may say so, harrowing um challenging difficult journey navigating the court system after coming forward about being raped and as we have been doing all this year uh crystal is a beyond surviving graduate and i had the great joy of working with her last year and just watching her really grow and we were in many ways doing healing work while supporting her around you know, navigating all of the decisions and all of the things and all the dis everything, everything that was coming up around um, this trial. So I can't wait to dig into that. And I know you all are going to just benefit so much from hearing about her process and her journey. One thing to know about Crystal is that she's really all about giving back to the community that has supported her in her healing journey, going from, you know, really feeling stuck. And her passion is giving space to other survivors who just want to be noticed and heard and connected with on those interpersonal levels of life. 
She is right now working on her BA in psychology and FCS child and family. She um, has really just been able to see firsthand that process that of healing, that it is possible when you're in the right community. One of the things that I really adore and appreciate about Crystal is that she works with at-risk children to really help them embrace their self-worth um, and supports them in turning their lives around. So Crystal, thank you so much for being here. It's so sweet to connect with you today. Thank you, Rachel, for having me today. Absolutely. Okay, so we are talking about some challenging things today. And, um, you know, I know so many people listening have been um, in the position that you were in or, um, you know, might find themselves in it where you have experienced an assault. And you're, first of all, faced with just processing what has just happened. And was that what I think thought it was? And oh my gosh, and all of the pain and the fear and, and everything that comes up for you in that moment. And then you're faced with this moment of deciding, what do I do about this? Am I calling the police? Am I going to go and pursue charges? So um, I wonder if you can take us a little bit back to that moment when you first began thinking about the possibility of reporting and how did that feel and what were the questions and what were the, the concerns and the fears that came up for you at that time? Yes, Rachel. Um, so the process I was doing right now, um, I actually, after the assault, um, I honestly didn't know what to do. Um, I called a couple um, friends, actually my sponsor at the time, she didn't answer. And then I called my best friend, Christina, and she actually was, she nailed it. She's like, okay, you need to go to this place. You need to report it. You need to, like, she was A, B, C, and D, and I was just feeling everything. Yeah. So, first of all, just reaching out to somebody who you trusted. Yes. Say, this is what happened. This is what I just went through. And one of those people was very clear about, okay, this is, we, here are our steps. We're doing this, 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 and this. And did that feel like supportive to you? Did that feel um, kind of stabilizing for you? Or did you have any sense of like, whoa, hold on. I don't know if I'm ready for all that yet. Um, to be honest, I was in the most shocking state of mind. I was crying. My friend couldn't hear me. And she lives in um, Kentucky. So I was doing this all on my own mm. on a phone call. So um, it was, she gave me A, B, C, like you need to go to the ER, you didn't tell me what was going on. And um, so it was just, I was to a point, I was like, I don't know, I could do this. And so you gather yourself and what was your next step? Did you go to the ER next? Was that, was that your next step? Yes, um, I gathered myself. I drove about 35 minutes away from where I was, and I went to the ER. I reported um, to the front desk that I was sexual assaulted, and they actually um, took me to a room and just put me in this big room. And I was um, there was police involved. There was um, just the like rape kit and everything. So it was very, in a way, traumatizing because people that was involved wasn't very didn't know how to handle it because I felt like no one knew how to handle a rape case 
mm-hmm. where it was. So many women that I've talked to who have, you know, gone into the hospitals as that first step to report, um, it's so clinical and cold. And, you know, in some ways, the people there are trying to do their best job to gather the evidence and make sure nothing's lost and, you know, all that. But yeah, that just that space of being sensitive about what has just happened to you. It sounds like your experience was that there wasn't much kind of sensitivity or very trauma-informed care that was provided at the time. Yeah. um, So how the process was, I actually um, had to go to a different place. It was like a sexual assault area. I wasn't actually, um, I went to the wrong place and I did not know that at the time. Yeah. Oh, man. So when, you know, kind of, Facing this moment, I, I think is, you know, that's something that uh, is is daunting to imagine because I'm guessing for you, while all these things are going on around you, taking swabs of things and giving your clothes, like whatever it is, you're still very much trying to process what actually happened. Can you say a little bit about just where your mind was at, you know, as these things were going on? Yeah. Um, so where I, my mind was, um, was it happened again because, um, I was a sexually assaulted, um, abused as a child. So it was me processing what happened at the moment. But then on top of that, I was trying to process, trying to not let my, um, flashbacks come back to the, um, Mm. trying to come back where I was when I was a child. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So you're holding this, you know, these dual experiences and going into a lot of like, here we go again. I can't believe this has just happened. And while a different context and later in life, it's just re, you know, triggering all of those memories and all of those experiences. Did you find that you were able to talk about that to anyone or was that all being held very internally by you at that time? Um, It was, um, mostly internally, because um, the only time um, it came up was when I was doing my um, rape case, uh, my rape kit, mm-hmm. and the person that was doing it, she actually questioned if I was abused as a child, because she actually, how I was, like, standing and how I was doing the exam, like, she noticed. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And that was actually my first time actually talking about it outside of just myself right oh my goodness what a what a wild and and difficult moment the first time you're really naming and acknowledging out loud that you experienced childhood abuse is in the midst of getting this rape kit done yeah I hate that that experience for you added that layer of trauma because People were moving too quickly and not taking their time and not giving consideration to um, the the mental aspect of this. At what point, I'm curious, did, did anyone bring in, you know, like a psychologist or a social worker or, you know, somebody who was actually able to address and support you on those levels? No, not at all. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so when that's all said and done what they just send you home and what was next what happened next 
Um, so they sent me home. Um, I was in an area that was very a bad side of town. So luckily the cops actually let me get all of my, like, um, my sheets, everything, because this happened at my house. So I actually had to go back at home, collect all the evidence, and then bring it to the, um, the station, the police station. So, yes, that was the next step. And then um, about two, three days later, um, we was in court for, um, for um, my perpetrator was in court and I got um, a straining order. And then it, that was when it started with the court system. Wow. Two to three days later. In some ways, I'm shocked like to hear like there's my first reaction is like so quickly, but yeah, so quickly. I mean, in some ways, I'm relieved that it was. But also, I'm like, whoa, you're still in such the early stages of processing this assault, and now you're stepping into a courtroom with the person who assaulted you. And what was the, for you, like, the process of getting a lawyer? Like, was it just somebody was automatically assigned to you? Did you feel like you were in good hands with that person from the beginning? Um, I actually got a lawyer assigned to my case, and... Honestly, um, it had hit and misses. Like um, my perpetrator, he had a mental illness. And so that was her biggest concern. That was her red flag was like, okay, this is going to be like, it was going to be fishy because it was more of a he, she said. Mm -hmm. But then again, my perpetrator actually called me and apologized on the phone. Mm -hmm. So they had evidence. But then again, my perpetrator was thinking, um, was saying he was in like um, incompetent of staying in trial because of this. Yeah, yeah. So you're facing this, the decision first of all to to go to the hospital and even start that process, and then there's the next decision of do I go to trial? Do I go to court? And from the moment, I'm, just to give us the full big picture for a moment, from the moment you went to the hospital to the moment that the case was, we're called, we'll call it resolved, even though I know as we get more into your story, there are still things happening even today. How long was that process for you? So I had, um, so the moment I was assaulted to when I asked to settle was a year and a half, yeah. almost about 18 months. Yeah. So as you reflect back on that experience today, any regrets reporting? What have been the pros and cons? Like, how do you feel about having gone into the court system and gone to trial? Um, my pros is actually one thing I, I wouldn't say love, but liked was getting my voice back. Because after um, I settled for my, um, my court case, I actually could do uh, like I had, like I did my story, like what happened and it was after that I felt relief that I did the 18 months of, I would call it hell, mm. but it was so worth it. Mm. I remember during our time working together that that decision about do I settle the case or do I go on, you know, in the full on, you know, full trial, I don't even know if there's a different word for that, but <laughs> well, trial versus settling, I guess is mm -hmm. what it is. 
And talk with us a little bit about, you know, that decision-making process. What was that like for you? And, and how did you ultimately know that, you know, um, what were the things that you were feeling conflicted about? And what ultimately supported you in making the decision to settle? Um, after 18 months of fighting the battle, um, I decided to settle was because it was emotionally like I had emotionally distressing, like my anxiety was going back up. Um, I couldn't eat. I was getting flashbacks again. And I was getting to a point every month we was going to court. And it was that, oh my gosh, again, because my court case was getting pushed back every month because it was supposed to be um, about five months, had a court case, um, like a court hearing. And then it got pushed another two, um, three months. And then COVID hit. And then it just kept on going. So I was like, okay, I didn't want to continue because at the back of my head, I was fighting for wrong reasons mm -hmm. to a point. Mm -hmm. And so after um, you and I talked about, okay, let's, weigh the decisions of settling and going through trial. I actually decided to settle because I wanted an outcome of guilty or just sitting in the okay stage of, okay, he does have a felon now. I couldn't, I, to be honest, I don't know where I stand, would stand today if I would have gotten a not guilty. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, so that risk going to court and him potentially walking just felt, yeah. felt too risky at that time. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally get that. Wow, okay, we're going to take just a, a little short break. And then when we come back, we're going to continue um, hearing more about your journey and your story. So hang tight, and we will be right back. Are you fed up with missing out on life because of fear and anxiety? One of the hardest aspects of being afraid is that the fear and anxiety takes on a life of its own. A single moment becomes a defining moment. You know, one person hurting you becomes a fear that everyone will hurt you. Our fears and anxieties are not to be taken lightly. They can be so strong that they immobilize us. But there is a way out. And during my 60-minute masterclass, I'm going to share with you the keys to unlocking the cage of fear and anxiety so that you can finally do the things you love and obtain the things that you want in your life. Go now to rachelgrantcoaching.com slash fear dash class and download your MP3. Now, back to our show. Welcome back, everybody. So, Crystal, you know, I just feel like I have to take a moment to really reflect um, what I witnessed uh, as your coach and your mentor as you were going through this, which was, man, a lot of frustration, so much re-traumatization by the court system, feeling often that your choices were so very limited feeling disempowered by that system, all up against you, like being a badass and like continuing to come more and more, you know, exactly as you were saying into your voice. 
Um, and so, you know, when you think about, particularly for those who are listening, who might be resonating with that, like, oh my gosh, I went through all of that too. Um, or maybe they're sitting in a moment of trying to decide whether to step in, you know, to this. I guess what I'm wondering about for you is now that you're a little bit more on the other side of it, um, what would you want to say to those who are thinking about going to trial? That's a good question, Rachel. Um, I would honestly be kind of blunt about this because when I was walking into it, I thought, okay, I have choices. I have my voice. I have choices. But when I was going through my trial, it was kind of, he had all the cards. He had all of the rights because he wasn't pleading guilty. He, he didn't, was, he wasn't guilty at the moment. So um, I would tell them to keep that in mind because it's always going to he, she said until that guilty or not guilty happens. And that's one thing that really I struggled with because no one told me that because I, no one told me that walking in a courtroom, I wouldn't be believed. A lot of people wouldn't believe me because it wasn't a guilty yet. Right, right. Yeah, it's a fascinating construct that we have where, yeah, you know, the defendant is innocent until proven guilty, so to speak. <laughs> In some yeah. cases, we see the otherwise, um, for sure. Um, but then you're there basically having to make your case and having to restate the things that have happened and having that picked apart. And that kind of a mental and emotional energy that goes into all of that. And I guess one thing that I'd really love for us to just touch on, because I think this was a big shift in our work together as we were talking about the concept of justice. Mm -hmm. And that when you first kind of decided, okay, I'm going to trial, it's like, I'm getting, going to get my justice, right? And I'm going to get what's right and the, you know, the yeah. fair and right outcome and we really did a lot of work around redefining justice and even like, okay, what is this, what is going to trial or even going through the process up to the point of settling a case really all about and how does that actually sit separate and apart from this concept or idea or feeling of justice? Well, what would you like to say about that? Like what you've learned about that through this process? I learned going through the court system and getting a guilty plea, um, I still don't feel like I got justice because um, it was so little. I had to go down to a misdemeanor and to get what I wanted out of justice. But it comes down to can you live with the decision of going with what the plea is? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we talked a lot about how, you know, I think oftentimes people go into court and go into a trial with the idea that this is going to, once this is done, like once I've got the, like the check done, guilty or whatever it is, I'm going to feel great, right? Everything's going to be good. Like that, and it's almost like there's this, um, we convolute the idea of justice and healing. Yeah. And so really, um, like 
actually all that's happened is we've now said like what's going on this person's record um you know what agreements we have about like restraining orders probation these sorts of things um but my healing work is really separate and apart from that i mean have you really found that to be true yes i do because i honestly had a mindset of when the trial was over i was healed yeah but I I think after the trial was done with, I can actually finally heal from it. I can actually get involved, process everything, because in a way, court system, it, in the courts, it works fast. Yeah. And um, every time you go to court, you, like for me, I had more little details I needed to process. Because I see my perpetrator every month for 18 months. Mm -hmm. And so every time, and on that, I was getting re-traumatized. So I do really think separating the um, guilty and my healing um, journey is actually a good idea. Like, mm -hmm. it, yeah. it really helped me. Yeah. Oh, you just made, I just was thinking of a question when you were saying that and then it poofed right out of my head. <laughs> Let's see if it will come back. Um, I guess what I was really feeling as you were naming that is, um, you know, that's what it was. In Crystal's perfect world, what would you like to see changed about any part of this process that you've had to go through in, you know, from the moment of reporting to then getting involved with police to then getting a lawyer to then going into the court system and dealing with judges and um, all of that. You know, if you think about, gosh, here, here are the things that I would really love to see happening or being done differently. What comes to mind? A lot of things, to be honest, like for instance, how the first process of reporting my assault, I actually was in the waiting room for 27 minutes, mm. just sitting there, sitting there. And because they didn't know what to do with me. Wow. Yeah. So um, that, and then every time I would have to go to court, I felt that I was getting re-traumatized because people in the court system didn't know how to react. Like, it was like walking on eggshell mm -hmm. times 20, but it wasn't me walking on eggshells. It's like I had to walk on eggshells because the perpetrator had more rights and more everything than I had. A voice, he mm -hmm. could talk in court. I couldn't until I was, when I was settling, I had my choice of to write um, my, like, write a letter. So I felt that it wasn't, it wasn't even. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, something else I'm thinking about that we talked about and worked a lot on. Um, I mean, and what's amazing is like, we're doing all of this work around like what's happening at court and with the lawyers and with all that alongside just the Beyond Surviving program, like just that stuff, right? Like the childhood trauma and you're holding space for all of that. And I remember like, I threw a book across the room one day when I, I was like, I had it in my hand. I've been doing something. And I stopped for a moment and clicked one of your emails and you, and I remember reading and you were saying something along the lines of like, gosh, like I really, 
you know, I, I start to have this reactivity and it would be really great if, and we, so we started brainstorming like ways that you could, um, could you sit with headphones when you're in, you know, the, the um, courtroom? So you don't have to listen to this ass, you know, speaking and, or could you like, yeah, put on music or could you sit outside and just the constant, nope, that's not an option. No, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. I read just one of your emails about that after you had checked in about so, and I literally threw the book across where I was like, because it just made me so mad. And it made me really sad too, because mm-hmm. yeah, you know, that lack of care is there. And, and so it's such a tricky thing because ultimately having it on the books, ultimately statistically, ultimately there, there are all these kind of social benefits to reporting, but I think it's really important to think about like you are stepping into a little bit of, you know, a lion's den and to be prepared. And, you know, um, I'm so glad that you had the Beyond Surviving Community supporting you. I just think about people who don't have that, right? Who don't have anyone guiding them. And, and so I guess that would be another thing that just comes to mind is, you know, what role did having support and talking to people in your life to whatever extent that you did, what role did that play in, you know, helping you navigate this whole situation? Yes. So um, for about six months, I have no, I had no community because um, I was assaulted um, in June and Miu and I got in connection in December. So June to December, I had no community. I had no nothing. And that was the worst I've learned over the 18 months having community and having support, I think that's got me to fighting as long as I did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Crystal, is there anything else that you want to share today? It doesn't even have to be about this part of your journey, but you, that has been a big, big piece. And you've gotten to some places of resolution and completion with that. And you've gone on to do a lot of deep healing work. And, and so whatever it is that you might want to share about whatever, <laughs> um, what else is on your mind today? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I just want to say a couple words of healing because I didn't heal for 20 years and taking baby steps with you, it was necessary. It, it was necessary because now I actually can not get triggered every day. Like it's just something that, I didn't think it was possible, but doing the hard work, going through the Beyond Surviving program and doing um, the work, it is actually, it's amazing after going through the process. So my encouragement for anyone that is thinking about it, just take a baby step. It just takes a baby step and vulnerability is necessary. Hey, wow. Yeah, that's, a, I love that. That's a great place <laughs> to leave it for today. Crystal, the one I see in you is beautifully quirky, strong as hell, magical, and really open-hearted and loving. And 
Uh, it has been such an honor to be just a part of your journey and to walk alongside you and see you growing. Um, you're already wise beyond your years, but you've just really, really come into your own um, in these in these last couple of years. And I'm proud of you and I love you. And thank you so much for being here and sharing your story with us and breaking the silence about your journey. Appreciate you. Thank you, Rachel. Mm. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in and joining us today. As always, if you'd like to make a donation in support of the podcast, go to bit.ly slash beyondsurvivingpodcastdonation. All contributions will be applied towards funding scholarships, the running of donation-based and free programs, and making sure that those reaching out for support get what they need. Don't forget to visit rachelgrantcoaching.com to learn more about sexual abuse recovery coaching and explore the resources there. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Then come back next time because we have so much more to share. And until then, take good care of you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.